The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Fighting through episode 23, a third coffee with veteran Wilf Shaw. More great unpublished history. This, this chap called the private aside to ask him what what the, everybody called him, yeah. thinking he would say Red Ted. Yeah. And he said... I can remember getting 28 days once, uh, for, that was for uh, impersonating an officer. Did you? We used to go out on patrol, uh, minefield patrol, but there was always there was always one in front, in advance. I know it sounds callous, but if, the one in front, if he, if he trod on an S mine or. Uh... Way up in the sky, a German reconnaissance plane. Yeah. These, these gunners, they must have got out of bed and called into action, you know. I don't think they fired three shots. Right. Something like something went. Three shots went on when I looked up. Hello again. You've just been listening to a few passages from this episode in which I'm bringing you yet another meeting with 97-year-old World War II veteran Wilf Shaw. I'm Paul Chielson of Bill Cheel, whose World War II memoirs have been published by Pen and Sword in Fighting Through from Dunkirk to Hamburg. The aim of these podcasts is to give you the stories behind the story You'll hear memoirs and memories of veterans connected to Dad's war in some way, and much more. And it seems that never a week goes by without some snippet of great unpublished history popping up that's connected to Dad's war. So if you don't want to miss out in future, I recommend you subscribe to the show through your usual listening app. I've put links to quite a few popular ones on my webpage at fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk UK. So in this episode, I'm having yet another coffee and chat with Wilf Shaw, a World War II veteran who's got some really superb stories to tell us about his war in Europe and Africa. Joining us once again is Wilf's friend Leslie Littlewood, whose father was also in World War II as a soldier with 56 Reconnaissance Corps, part of 78th Battle Axe Division. So this is a very informal meeting with Wilf and Leslie. And listener, have some tissues ready. That's all I'll say. Gunfire had, uh, a mortifier, had uh, split the telephone cable. Because what happens when in a case like that, you've got to repair the line. And to do it, you get the... The, the cable from your end, keep it in your hand and just keep it in your hand and walk out and uh, find 
somehow finds the other end, you know, uh, it's yeah. been blown apart. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can be quite a task at times, you know, when you're walking through muddy fields and things like that, you know. Me and him were out repairing a line broken by shell fire. Yeah. And uh, this uh, thundering sound coming coming towards you. So. And I told him to run like me, you know. And uh, I saw this ditch looming up and, and leapt over. Yeah. And uh, Fred went in head first, you know, into the ditch. And I remember at the time... Did he go in head first because he'd been hit by a blast or was he just doing it as quickly? No, the fish fell in, you know, he didn't see, he didn't see the ditch. Oh, you know, like a drainage ditch. You know. Ah, right, yeah. And, but we were in a house at the time that the occupants had, had departed. Yeah. And we went up to bed. We went up to bed and Fred Fred got into bed in the state he was in. Because we had to be fully clothed, you know. Yes, oh yeah. Full of mud and everything, you know. Yeah. In this lovely clean bed. Uh, and I asked him, did he remember? And he said, yeah. I want I want somebody amused either, you know. <laughs> were, you, were you covered in mud as well? But no, no, you, you'd I, I to, went over me because you were sitting. You knew where you were going. Oh god! No, you never saw me that one. <laughs> oh. I I didn't say what it was. It was thundering towards us. It was horses. Ah, right. And I had a. A lamp to give you a lamp, and it has like a you can pull the cover down so it only shines downwards, you know. But uh, they must have caught the uh, flash of the it must have copped up, and somehow or other, the horses had uh, decided to gallop towards us, you know. And that's when I, I grabbed Fred and told him to run like bloody hell, you know. Right, so it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't anything to do with the enemy. It was horses. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> I'm handing you a bullet there, Wilf. What do you make of that? Point three or three. I did wonder. <laughs> Is that from a Lee Enfield then? I, I remember one day I sat down in the uh, in our dugout and just out of idle curiosity. I took the bullet out of uh, Lucy, and took the bullet out, and then put put this back in the rifle and, and fired it. <laughs> fired it without the bullet, yeah. you know, just just can. And um, that's not when you were that's not when you were aiming at the toilet at the latrine. <laughs> well, I always feel a bit embarrassed to think about that. I found this in Dad's drawer because um, I've just my mum's just gone into a care home. And I was going emptying that drawers and cupboards, and I found this. And I don't ever recall seeing it when I was a young lad. And I wonder if Dad actually found this in a car boot sale sometime, and he's just bought it as a souvenir. Yeah. But um, yeah, but that was the that was the weapon of choice wasn't it the the Lee Enfield well not necessarily a choice but yeah, they, they, were, they were first war first world war bullets when you think the I think the Germans all were all armed with um, machine guns weren't they 
machine guns. I think the, the Germans were all armed with machine guns and we all had 303 yeah. Enfields. Yeah. It's not, not an even match. I don't have a brain gun, but they weigh about is it 23 pounds or something, brain gun. Picked it up and I thought, wow, that's really, really heavy. Mm. That's about the same size as a holiday suitcase, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, heavier than that. They gave us 10 guns, didn't they? Uh, after the invasion of Normandy, they gave us Sten guns. Right. But they, they were a bit dodgy Sten guns. Why was that? They could, they could go off. Uh, if you happen to, the, the bolt behind it banged into you, something like that, and uh, they were prone to go off Sten guns. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever, can you ever recall people being injured? No, I didn't, no. no. But, but I did hear of incidents, you know. <laughs> Listener, I'm just cutting in here to explain that Leslie's about to share a poignant story with us about tracking down the service records of military medal winner Harry Salt and later meeting up with his niece. Well, 18 months ago, I brought off for um, some service records for a chap. I don't know if I told him, called him Harry Salt. And it'd been going, Fred had been going around for about five years. Um, it was actually one wrecker, Wargrave got him down with 15 wrecker. Anyway, to get it all, um, you need evidence. He got a military medal and everything. So we put all the evidence up on for and what were war diaries and all that sort of thing. So I sent off the service record. paid for them. And I thought, oh, it'll be, um, it's a record. And I spent 30 quid a bit and get a service record. So I sent off the proof to um, Commonwealth War Graves. Um, they're going to change the headstone eventually in Children's Year. And they changed the website already. So I put some of his service records, pictures of Tommy Gallery, and I'm thinking, well, he died young, he's no family, I won't marry him all that, and lo and behold, his granddaughter, his, 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 no, she was his, his grandniece. Grandniece, right. Um, came on for about ten days ago, because she'd read the thread in it. Yeah, yeah. And um, after I find out more about he died, well, you can't get the, the, um, Oh no, MID, you've got to mention in dispatches, I think. You can't really get them, but the things what were mentioned in the war dive were more or less, it could have been a citation. Yeah. So she knew really how we died, really, really good. And um, I got goosebumps and I said, oh, I'll just send these records. It would nice to be able to pass them on. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's no compared to what you would do, but I think that 30 quid. Yeah, it's money well spent. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, I know exactly how you feel. Cause and she wanted to pay me, and yeah. I said, no, no, I'm really happy that. And yeah. apparently a grandma, who yeah. is the sister, didn't know anything. So she, she's gone with all this stuff from far and yeah. all the service records to look at. Yeah. So I said, I just need a picture now to put. So I want to yes, see a picture. Yes, yes, yes. And it's so handsome, she put a picture up of him. And yeah. it's, so it's sort of like, that's it now. Oh, but you get goosebumps, you know, when yeah, you yeah, yeah. think I'm holding them records and yeah. she's, she's got them. It's, you know? it's just, I know exactly how you feel. That's yeah. happened to me so many times with when something out of the blue, somebody writes you and then, like, um, the next episode of the podcast I'm going to do is about uh, John Savage. He was one of my dad's best pals before the war. He was a rear gunner in a Lancaster. And um, 
I'd never seen a picture of him other than what Dad had talked about him. And suddenly the relatives send you the sent photographs you and all the rest yeah. of it. So similar sort of... Goosebumps, I know. Parallel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Listener, from this point on, I'm going to make quite a lot of references to Fred Zilkin, an old comrade of Wilf's who's written many letters to Wilf, and these are going to be the subject of a separate show sometime in the future. For now, I'm picking up several queries that I've got with Wilf. Talking about horses... You <laughs> um, don't have a lot of luck with horses, does he? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a, there's a story... Tell us about Cook Cullis. He's mentioned in one of Fred's letters. Cook Cullis. He had a nickname. Cook Cullis. Cook Cullis. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we had a nickname for him. Uh, the general nickname for him was Red, Red Ted. Yeah. He was a in, in our company, we didn't call him Red Ted. We was called him, him Shagnasty. <laughs> <laughs> was, it, was he a brigadier? He, he finished up brigadier. I saw mentioned somewhere they called it Red Ted's Brigade, and I thought, yeah. why did they call it Red Ted's Brigade? Ah, uh, Red Ted. Yeah. The other officers referred to him as Red Ted, but in in C Company, six green hours. Yeah. Our name for him was Shagnasty. Well, there's a, there's another little story here. Fred wrote about that there was some some privates. Um, this this chap called the private aside to ask him what what the, everybody called him, yeah. thinking he would say Red Ted. Yeah. And he said horse face. Yeah. Uh, so he got put on a two five two charge apparently for that. Uh. But it, so he, he was probably. Uh, Candy coating it a bit, saying horse face, because he, he should have said shag nasty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, excellent. Oh, dear. Um, I'm just going to pick a few of these up now. What? What? Tell us about Fred Cooper, because he's mentioned in one of... Uh, Fred Cooper, I never came across him during the war. All oh, right. It was uh, it was after the war that uh, he contacted me. I put a, a thing on service pals in it on television, and he answered it. And we ended up we went to Blackpool together for the uh, El Alamein reunion. Originally, it was called the El Alamein reunion, but they changed the name to the to the Eighth Army reunion. You know. And a lot of people who were in the 8th Army weren't just at Alamein. They didn't like the idea of it being called the, the yeah. Alamein reunion. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, I went to Blackpool with Fred. And, uh, and it, you, you see the story about him being buried. Though, uh, he, he got buried and uh, you had to pull him out for the... Uh, he, went, he fell in the tri- slit trench and, uh, and a shell came over. Yeah. And uh, sort of semi buried him and his leg was sticking out, you know. And, uh, I think in the. Because he wrote one letter to you, Fred, and in it he wrote that he mentioned that incident and he said it took him 40 years to find, to track, to trace the guy who'd dug him out of this. Ah, that's right, time. Yeah, yeah. 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 They, they contacted each other uh, <coughs> a few years ago. 
Do you know you once knew a guy called Daggerall? Daggerall, yes, I did. Yeah. Well, I've Daggerall. It, Bill, Bill Vickers mentioned him in a letter to you, yeah. and he called him Jack Dagger Hall. Yeah. So, because I, I always thought his surname was Daggerall, you know, like Fred Daggerall or Bill Daggerall. Yeah. But he, <laughs> yeah, there's other, other nicknames he probably had. Yeah. But it, it was Jack Dagger Hall. Yeah. Oh, it'd be hyphenated. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you like, yeah. Anyway, um, just uh, you, you started talking about Fred, but you didn't finish it because I think you said you met him in 19. Um, I met him at Marston House initially, yeah. but uh, the close association with him was uh, was from the day after G Day, you know. Tell, tell us about this character. Or, you know, tell us about his character. Sort of a chap he was. He, he was a bit of a humorist at times, you know. But, uh, pretty serious, and he, he, he didn't didn't put himself about a lot, you know. And uh, but I, I can tell you one instance. Uh, I can give you an instance of one of his uh, sense of humour. We it was insisted upon us. The signalers. When we were taking messages, how, how secret the, uh, the, the messages were, you know. Yeah. And uh, not to disclose and talk about anything in it from the message to anybody, you know. And this particular day, Fred was sat at the uh, telephone taking a message, writing it down, you know. And he wrote this message down, and uh, when he when he finished taking the message, he, got, he put it in an envelope, sealed sealed the envelope, and he wrote on the outside, highly secret, burn before reading. <laughs> Tell me that as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. Is that, um, is that a Jewish name? Zilkin, is that a Jewish name? Do you know? No, I wouldn't think so. No, no. I've never come across it before. No. I knew two. Suzuki was another... Uh, Suzuki. That was a bit Japanese. George yeah. Suzuki. George yeah. Suzuki, yeah. Suzuki. Uh, uh. He was Japanese, was he? But, but they lived in close proximity and they shared the same birthday, 19th of May. Uh, Fred, Fred and... Uh, Fred and George Suzuki. Right? Uh, but that was a bit Japanese. Uh, That's it, Suzuki, Suzuki. yeah. Just going to your memoirs, because I'm particularly keen to make sure we tie up any loose ends on that. Brightly burns the memory, right? You're talking about blah, 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 Alamein, and you've just met this guy who you used to know from somewhere else, from school, and you've made yourself known to him, and you're having a chat, and he's in charge of... Uh, I was a Royal Artillery bloke. Uh, he's called Alan Redford. Alan Redford, that's right. Yeah. I went to school with him, and the, the very the odd thing was, a real coincidence, really, as we were walking in on the night of the El Alamein thing. Yeah. I recognised Alan from his voice. Right. He was semi down with us. I hadn't seen him, but I, I recognised from his voice. I thought that's Alan ready for me. 
And that been the first day of Alamein, have it? That was, that was on the initial attack the, the 23rd. 23rd of uh, October. Yeah. Yeah. But what, what you've written, you said um, you're chatting about uh, telling each other's mothers. Yeah, that's that, right. That you, lo- you love them, etc. Yeah. I did see his mother, yeah. Right. But, <laughs> did he survive the war? Alan, yes, yeah, he, he went did. to Australia. Oh, okay. Or, no, New Zealand, Christchurch. Yeah. <coughs> Which is Christchurch, is it? Oh. New Zealand. New yeah. Zealand, yeah. Anyway, you've said, uh, he says, uh, I don't envy you your job going up into that lot. That's right, he did, yeah. And then we passed a few words of mutual reassurance. Yeah. And he said, this is smoke we're laying down, ah, he said. Right. Don't worry if one of these hits you, it's dot, dot, <laughs> dot. And then your, your, your memoir, I've been sat on the edge of my seat reading your memoir for two weeks, and suddenly you stop. <laughs> Mid sentence. Uh, he, he said, "Don't worry about one of these. They're only smoke bombs, you know." So. It's only a smoke bomb. Yeah. Right. They were laid, they laid down smoke before the initial barrage, you know. Uh, okay. <laughs> but then, then you went on, and I think. You, you picked up. I, can, I think I can find the loose ends in your Filofax pages now as to what happened after that. Yeah. But um, one area I wanted to cover was about Normandy because it, it's there's a few bits and pieces in your Filofax pages about Normandy, but I think the biggest gap is. Um, from from D from DT or D plus two or whatever, through to Nijmegen, there's what generally were you involved in during that period? I was I was signaller to the anti tank. Right. Signaller to anti tank platoon. <laughs> but are there any particular incidents you can recall during that period? I'll tell you one incident that has occurred when I was with the signaller as the anti-tank zone was the incident with the radio where I put it on top. Yeah. And I had the radio on top of the trench. Yeah. You were in the Germans trench. were firing, kept firing periodically at, at intervals of uh, two minutes. You could hear the thump in the background, and I would lay there and timing in, and the time was getting less and less between the explosion I could hear, the uh, discharge of the uh, the discharge at that end, and the explosion at this end, and the time was getting less and less, and I estimated it wouldn't be long before. Uh, the net third from when I was listening from I'm talking about three three from now and the one that drops is going to be pretty close you know yeah and I had the radio on top of the trench yeah and that's exactly what happened <coughs> there were, the time limit got less and less until this explosion the shell burst almost on top of them and blew the uh, radio 
Uh, I got shrapnel through the radio, and uh, after I picked it up and I thought, well, it can't possibly be working. And I got you know, some dog, dog sound, dog sound, they pulled my signals, you know. And back came the answer, here you strength five, you know. And they were shrapnel through the bloody, uh, through the radio. Yeah. And it still worked. Yeah, it still worked. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry? Should I tell you what Fred said about you? No. Well, he said, <clears throat> you were always getting 28 days for something or another, Will. <laughs> so, defend yourself. I was always getting 28 days for something or another, yeah. So you're always in trouble, in other words. <laughs> you're listening to the Fighting Through podcast. Great unpublished history. This is episode 23, Another Coffee with Wolf Shaw. I can remember getting 28 days once. Uh, for, that was for uh, impersonating an officer. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Tell us about that. I don't think I've heard this one. It, it's happened in Cyprus uh, before we uh, went up to Iraq, you know, like before. And just for a joke, I was on guard this night. And uh, I found it was in the officers' quarters in Cyprus, where, where the officers were. And there was, a, there was an officer's uh, coat hanging over a chair. So I'd left my mate, you know, we, we, we used to do pairs, we used to patrol in pairs, you know. Yeah. So I told him I was going somewhere. Anyway, I found this coat hanging off his coat, and I picked it up and put it on. Walked smartly back to my mate and had him stood to attention and uh, one thing and another, you know. We we'll just guess what's going to happen, can't we? And in the end, uh, the humour of it all got me, and I, I, I burst. I had to burst out into laughter, you know. And uh, he recognised. He, he called me a name which uh, I don't repeat really. <laughs> So you didn't, this was your pal you were doing but this But I got found out about it. There's somebody, somebody saw me and I ended up on a charge. And uh, they exaggerated things a bit and, uh, you know, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't just playing a practical joke from their point of view. It was, it was impersonating an officer. Oh, gosh. And, uh, the outcome was with I got 28 days pack drill. All right. Army punishment, pack drill, yeah. And uh, you had to dress me, pack on your back and your rifle. And uh, there'd be about seven of you. And the sergeant major would, we'd uh, have you running, you had to, you had to run. He run you all over the place, you know, until, until you were fit to drop sort of thing, you know. And, uh, yeah, one, one particular, uh, one particular move they had, is you were in a line like that, and this office, this sergeant said, uh, on the order of right form, the, uh, the man on the right of this line would stay still. And the, and, the, and the others had to run round in a circle. Because the bloke on this, the outside of this guy, he, he sort of losing ground. 
on the others, you know, we're doing moving around with the money. And uh, he said, I'll, I'll double you until that man catches up, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how many, do you have to do that for like an hour a day? Yeah. 28 days? An hour or? You did it at night, uh, right. in Cyprus, around about six o'clock or something like that. After you'd done the rest of everything, the rest of the day, you know. Um, you had to put this equipment on. And, uh, so and the officer didn't see you with his coat. It was somebody who dubbed on you who had said. Uh, I've to seen this Will. day, I don't know. Don't what, know but they, they found out what I'd done, you know. Right. I thought you were going to say the officer walked out. What well, the officer Not walked it. into the room behind you and <laughs> <laughs> caught you at it. It's like when you know you work out all day, you know, all of a sudden you decide to put your feet up on top of his desk and push marks, and you think, I really haven't been here the last two hours with my feet on. It, it just, it's like sod's law, really, isn't yeah. it, when they come? I'll tell you one other thing that's happened, which I'm, I'm pretty reluctant to relate, really, but uh, uh, when we were at uh, a place called Ascol, uh, near Richmond in Yorkshire, yeah. That was a specialist company, signalers, MT drivers, carriers, motor people. While we were there, we used to we used to get picked for guard, you know. And it was my turn on guard, particularly. But they used to pick them on extra for the guard duty. And uh, when you went out on parade, there was always one man extra. And. Uh, the cleanest man on parade was dismissed. Yeah. You know, he didn't do the guard, you know. So I cleaned all my stuff up and borrowed all, all the, you know, re, really all, all the best, you know, polished brasses and all the rest of it, you know. Lined up on parade uh, for the guard duty. And he, uh, he came round inspecting. You walk around the back of you and pick your boots up and uh, count the studs in your boots and things like that, you know, and yeah. uh, inspect you in general. And uh, it came to the part where you, you had to, uh, what they call, uh, poor times, where, where you had to be. And you had to go like that with your rifle, you know, your bolt to your rifle. Yeah. And uh, and then come back at ease, you know. So you had to like clear, anyway, the, clear the stock. It came to this particular yeah. part of uh, Port Arms and East Springs. I realised we nobody bolted the rifle. Right. I'd, le I'd left it behind when I'd been cleaning it. So what I did, I went through the motions. Yeah, you pretended to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, of course, when you were stood like that, you were the rifle, and they came round the back of I thought he's sure to find out, you know, that no both the rifle. He didn't. The next thing, I got a chap on the shoulder, cleanest man, you know. And I got cleanest man on parade. <laughs> No, no bolt on the rifle, oh. yeah. and uh, I remember I got back and 
There's one bloke dangling his feet. They both did. Yeah, you're a lucky bastard. <laughs> dangling it in front of you because yeah. he'd actually nicked it. You hadn't forgotten it. No, he hadn't nicked it. No, it was me that had left, oh, right. left the show. You I know. thought he just going, what did he say, you're lucky me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, excellent. No, they'd found that after I'd gone out on parade, they found the bolt. You know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, you're always, he, he said you were always getting 28 days for, for one thing or another. So what, what else did you get 28 days for? I don't think I got 28. Yeah. I think that was... Uh, Only once. I think that was Fred's imagination. Yeah. His, his next uh, paragraph was a bit more complimentary. He said, you were never in a panic, Wilf. I remember that whenever you came over to the mortars, you were always composed and didn't give a damn about enemy shells. You were always a rebel, Wilf, and it was those types of blokes who won the bloody war for us. <laughs> Fred mentioned the do or that do at Pickering, and the sergeant major shot someone rampaging through the hut at Pickering. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there was. Uh, he was called Wilfred something. Uh, it, there was an account about it in the, uh, in the national papers at the time, you know. Uh, he, uh, he went berserk, like, charging through the uh, one mission after another, you know. I don't think he. I don't think he shot anybody. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then, taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Listener, before Wilf tells his next story, I just want to give you the background behind the man who's the subject of it. Claude MacDonald Hull, to give him his full name, was a highly respected officer and quite renowned in military circles. Captain Hull won the Military Cross for action at Matruch in Egypt in 1942, and later in 1943, by then a major, he was awarded the MC Bar at Wadi Akarit. After the war, he wrote a book called The Man from Alamein, which was supposed to be fiction, but was in fact true and the book's readily available if anyone wants to read it. I've put a link in the show notes, together with the only photo of Claude Hull I've been able to find, and Wilf gave me that. And that photo is going to be the subject of an episode for this show sometime in the future, so keep tuned. Now this story from Wilf is as rare as hen's teeth. There seems to be so little information available on the internet about Claude Hull. Um, so here goes. This is just more great unpublished history. Um, do you remember that Christmas in Iraq? Most of us in a big tent. Yeah. That was in 1942. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about that then? Up in Iraq, uh, we, were, we were in big dugouts, a full section in a dugout, as many as eight, eight in a dugout. Uh, 
Claudio had this bright idea of digging a channel straight through the centre of the uh, dugout, yeah. outside, outside to a fire. Uh, there was plenty of oil in the rack, you know. Oh, nice. And uh, the cooks used to use it. They, they, they had an idea that they, they could use crude oil with with a bit of water to do the cook. And, uh, I don't, not quite how it works. I don't know. But, but Claude's idea was he, he had this fire. This is Claude Hull. Sorry, this is Claude Hull. Claude Hull, yeah. 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 If we had this fire outside, the heat would go through the channel and, uh, and through the tent, you know, and because uh, it was very cold, it was very cold in there, like, you know. And it was warm the tent up. I don't think it worked. Oh, right. <laughs> well, that was the kind of bloke Claude was. He was, uh, he was a very boyish kind of bloke, but very enthusiastic. <laughs> Morris in Cyprus, Morris Sutherland. Yeah. He, he was put on a 252. Yeah. Do you remember that incident? And he defended himself, yeah. And, and he, did he win? He, he defended himself, uh, uh, Morris Sutherland, yeah. What was the 252 about? Can you remember? 252 was an army charge. Yeah. What was he being charged with? I don't know what he was being charged for, but he defended himself. Because yeah. uh, he was a solicitor. <laughs> Did he become the mayor? Is that him who yeah. became yeah. the mayor in the North yeah. East? Right? Yeah, he got knighted. Sutherland, yeah. that's yeah. right, yeah. 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 I met him after the war, uh, after a Richmond Sunday one, and he took me to his home at Yarm, it's called, uh, up Cleveland. Yes, somewhere. yeah. Uh, that's where I come uh, from. I think I've sent you the photograph of him and me in, in his garden. Yes, you have. Yeah. You're right, yeah. The Italian mutiny. Aye, oh, that was. Uh, I remember that. Yeah. <coughs> that was Salerno. That was Salerno, was it? Yeah, Salerno mutiny. Mm. What? What? Uh, obviously, you weren't involved in that, were you? No, no, no. I think, but I, uh, I, own, I, I missed it. What happened? It happened after the uh, invasion of Sicily. And after the invasion of Sicily, which was only about thirty odd days, yeah. but as we were as we were advancing at the end through Catania, people went down with malaria. That's right. Yeah. And I was one of them. It, it turned out it was only clung to malaria. The trouble is, I got sent to hospital, but instead of sending you back to your unit, they sent us all back to uh, sent us all back to uh, transit camp. Some people were being put on a list in transit camp, and a, and a mate of mine called uh, Joe Bainbridge yeah. come to me and said, "Well, get your kit." This is one more, and Joe says, get your kit, he says, come with me. So I said, what sort? He said, he said, you'll be sorry if you don't. So, anyway, I got my kit together and uh, went, went out, went out on the main road and got uh, a lift back to our unit. Yeah. 
He says, he said, them books are going to bloody Italy. He says, Salerno. Yeah. And uh, he got me out of it, you know. So, it seemed that see, if you got back to your own unit, your own unit could claim you and you, you yeah. weren't on a charge with anything like that. Uh, and that's, right. that's how I got back to my own unit. Some guys, I know about it because it was some guys from 78th Division and sat on the beaches and refused to go back. Yeah. Be, because they, they were going to be sent after yeah. they'd been ill. They were, Said, like well, it was, it was the, the, Americ the Americans yeah. wanted it. Yeah. But they were, they were sending blokes who'd been wounded two or three times. Yeah. They were expected to go and to another unit. Yeah. And reinforce uh, losses in Italy, you know. Yeah. And, and they uh, thought they were going back to their own units. Didn't they, didn't they think they were going back to their no. own units? No, yeah. they did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And they refused, to, they refused they to get on the boat. They were put on the boat and yeah. they thought they were going back to their own units. Yeah. They weren't. And some refused to go on board. They were sent to Italy. That's uh, because I know that chap who, that interview where uh, John Gowan in my dad's unit, it was one of somebody he knew from home and he'd heard about that Salerno. And this is what the people in the army didn't realise, uh. they were your mates. And you wanted to go back to units, but seventy-eight. Did, you knew as soon as you saw that battle axe sign, even if you didn't get back to your own unit, you'd get back to the division, and then they'd send you on. You did. If you have been in hospital or something like that, you didn't always get back to your own unit. No. Yeah, yeah. But whichever, whichever your unit were in need of reinforcement. They were just taken from this transit camp, which was essential, you know. Well, that's how Dad ended up in the East Lanks at the end of the war, um, because he'd been in the Green Howards and he got wounded. He recuperated in Scotland, uh, and then he he said he wanted to go back to his unit, and yeah. he, off he went to Germany, and he thought that's where. And suddenly he realised the the Green Howards had been taken out of battle, yeah. and it's in the East Lanks, but he was happy with the yeah. way it worked out. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Well, Fred Cooper, Fred Cooper, after he'd been wounded, he wasn't sent back to the Green Howards, he, he was sent to the Hampshires, right. which, were, which were still 50 days, yeah. but I don't know whether you've read about it or not, but we lost a full brigade, 150 brigade, up uh, at Chabrook, you know, in the early days of the war, right. when Rommel surrounded they were in a box, what they call the, the Knightsbridge box. Yes. And that was the old 150 brigade. And they were, the old lot were taken, either killed, wounded, taken prisoner. And 150 brigade ceased to exist at all. So we operated with just two brigades for a long time until we, until we were made up to divisional strength by uh, another brigade, which turned out to be 231 Brigade, Dorset, Devons and Hampshire's, right. and uh, they made us up in it. But they were you a long time at the Falaise Gap? Were you? No, no, no more, no more than uh, a few hours, you know. Uh, but it that that time was it were, were it we, at that we time? were in that area but uh, oh, maybe a day or two you know 
But uh, in the end, in the end, the, the Germans managed to get out and pushed off up, up through Belgium and uh, Holland, you know. And we, we, I remember we had to board three tunnels and we tore like hell up after the Germans, you know, up the main road. And that was when we liberated the, the when the liberation of the the towns and that, you know, at the time. Yeah. Before Paris, but it's a Belgian town, you know. It's a, the one we liberated was Alice, A A L S T, you know. And I made friends with the family there. Called Ver Verdict. Right. And it, they had a business uh, making shoes. Uh, and I can still remember the uh, thing they gave me a card, you know. Leopold, uh, Leopold Verdict, fabricant and schooning and pantoffles. Gosh. Did you go and see them after the war? I think. Yeah, I did. Yeah, 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 I took my first wife over uh, yeah. and Michael. Did you? Yeah. yeah. I remember after the war, Louise, the, the woman, she she sent a big roll of cloth for me to make a suit with. You know, oh, back you? to England. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. yeah. yeah. Did, did you end up making the suit? Yeah. I'm oh, good. Yeah. Is there anything about tea in the desert? I, I'll tell you how we used to make tea. We used to cut a petrol tin. Uh, the petrol tin was about this size. About 10 inches by 10 squares. Right. And uh, we'd, cut, we'd cut it down to about 4 inches like that to make a shallow tray, you know, right. And we put sand in the bottom, pour petrol, and uh, which caused the fire. And you can you can mount a Dixie or across the corner, you know. Yes. And uh, with water in. And when it was boiling you just scattered the tea in, you know. Gosh. We, we we used to have a saying that uh, uh, when in doubt, brew up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, How often did Naffy come round with, with tea? Not very often. Didn't they? Well, it was the uh, it was the Red Cross. No, it wasn't. It was the Salvation Army. Oh, all right, right. Yeah. yeah. I've seen some pictures on the internet of oh, Naffy yeah. and everybody going for the tea. You yeah. Know, they, there's a thing up far and where they have a thread going about brewing up. Uh, if in doubt, brew up. This is from Fred again. One night a German naval werfer threw over ten rockets, oh, straddling the house you were in. I, re I remember that. And he dived into the cellar. Fred, ah, Fred, Fred gets, he got into a right bloody panic and uh, <laughs> he, he, fell down, he fell down the steps going down to the bloody cellar, you know. So. But uh, I had a mate from Gateshead called Gus Parks. Yeah. It was Gus Parks who had the camel check on for his arm, you know. Is he the one that you shared the dugout with as well? He was the first bloke I shared the dugout with in Cyprus. I got bit, I got uh, stung with a scorpion in Cyprus. I woke up and 
this this arm is like that, and it, it, was, it was dead from that. Yeah, the old this arm was dead, and uh, the scorpion was bitten. Yeah, yeah, the scorpion we were running about in the in the dugout. You know. Imagine, can you? No. Yeah. How did you find it reading the uh, non-wartime uh, things in the diaries? Um, I thought there were some uh, poignant sections where you went home, when you got 5th of November 1943, you came back from Africa yeah. and, you, and you shouted for your mum and she came running downstairs oh, yeah, to, and threw yeah. her arms around you. Oh, yeah, I heard that. That was nice. Well, you'll read that in All right, in yeah. If you read Bright Burns the Memory, you'll, yeah. right. you'll catch up on that. <laughs> and then, uh, then there's the early bits. I know you talked a lot about your poverty, didn't you? Where, how poor your, your family were. Yeah. And one, one bit that stuck out was when you when you used to turn your nose up at some of the food your parents gave you That's perhaps right. because there was too much fat or yeah. something your dad said there'll be one day when you'll be glad to get worse than this and then you realise that once you got in the army that yes that was that was true yeah. so I mean all those are, I think they're all per, they're all pertinent to the whole story really yeah, yeah. so I think they're worth you can pretty in. well put to, you can pretty well put my life story to Together, can't you? Yeah. From the diaries and uh, yes, oh yeah. I've been, been a long, interesting journey through life. It has. <laughs> it has. So you've got this. This is your dad's memoirs. Yes. And you, so you've had it published by Pen and Sword. Yeah. Then. So is it not bookshops and? Yeah. Wow. It, it's. You can buy it readily on Amazon, eBay. Um, any any bookshop would be able to get it for you uh, because it's got an ISBN number etc. Yeah. So anybody can order it for, for right. you, or you can get it direct from Pen and Sword. Um, but I, I, the best option, if you want the cheapest, it's to go on eBay or um, Amazon. Really? Yeah. Pen and Sword. Do they nearly? Oh, we do military. Yes. Yeah. It's they do military, and I think they also do. Um, oh, ge- geneo- genealogy, genealogy related right. uh, stories as well. Yeah. Because yeah. I know Paul Reed gets, you know, that story. Yeah. yeah. He gets his published by Penn and so. Does he? Ah, okay. He's done Walking D-Day and... Yes. Yeah. You know. I watch him on Twitter, he does... does I he... watch him all the time on Twitter. Yeah. If he's being, when he's doing more World War One stuff. Ah, okay, yeah. yeah. He's more doing the ledger holidays, what have you. He doesn't go out as much now because he's not yeah. going, he's more going now. Well, I assure you that uh, conversation with Leslie uh, sounding like an advert for Pen and Sword wasn't planned um, and then certainly not paying me anything for the publicity. But uh, obviously I'm keen that people take an interest in Dad's book and if anybody is interested in buying it, then there are plenty of links on the show notes and the website. But if you go to the home page... Uh, fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk you'll find a clear link to the book and that'll tell you all about it including uh, a discount code if you want to buy direct from Pen and Sword thank you 
He's talking about uh, in the desert a German plane that used to fly around at night machine no, I'll, I'll tell you what happened. Yeah, it was initially when we were at, uh, in the Gazala line and uh, I remember getting up one morning and stationed near us with it were these uh, Royal Artillery anti-aircraft uh, guns. Right. I got up this morning and uh, there's this, this, I could hear this zoom in, you know. Way up in the sky, a German reconnaissance plane, yeah. either German or Italian, I couldn't uh, And uh, remember, these, these gunners, they must have got out of bed and called into action, you know. I don't think they fired three shots. Right. Something like something went three shots went on. From our right. side. Our our gunners. Our gunners, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, they fired about three shots and when I looked up, the plane was in flames. <laughs> and they more or less they crept out of bed. Yeah. And the next thing I saw was this uh, parachute coming out of the plane. Yeah. There they are. And it candles, what they call candles, and the uh, it, it, it plum, the, uh, the, the pilot just plunges down into the minefield, you know. Oh, gosh. And uh, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't avoid feeling uh, a touch of sympathy, you know, for yeah. uh, awful way to die. Uh, because it, job, like because, else. because they used to come over with impunity, mm. reconnaissance planes, yeah. and they were at such a height, they, were, they felt fit, pretty complacent about not getting it, you yeah. know. Mm. On this occasion. But uh, this poor bugger, he only had three shots fired at him. And, uh, it must have been worse if he if did manage to open his parachute and see the minefield below. I'm thinking he'd have had longer to... Yes. Yeah. yeah, that must have been. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll tell you another instance about the minefield. We, we used to go out on patrol, uh, minefield patrol. Uh, a, a section, a section that's about eight, eight men, you know. But there was always, there was always one in front, in advance. And. Uh, I know it sounds callous, but if, the one in front, if, he, if he's thrown on an S-mine or an anti-personnel mine, didn't yeah. you've heard of the S-mines, haven't you? Uh, yes. What, what they were like. They had a polygniter and a pushigniter on you know. Right. You see, if you, if you detonated them, you'd jump about breast height oh, yes. yeah. and, and burst. And you were full of ball bearings. You uh, oh, scatter them. Yeah. 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 And as I was saying, if uh, the object of sending a bloke out 15, 20 yards in front was, uh, if he stepped on it, uh, it, it was warning to the others behind, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. He was a bit of a guinea pig, if oh, you like, God. you know. Yeah. So. Uh, anyhow, this, this particular uh, time we were going round and uh, the bloke in front and missed a tripwire. There used to be a tripwire about that time. Yeah. Oh, he missed it, he stepped over it. But the, the people following up behind us, you know, realised that the bloke 20 yards in front were 20 yards into the minefield, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, 
He's trying to sh trying to shout in a whisper. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, oh, you know, he's trying to. Get and then we got back out again, so the, right. nothing serious happened, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That could have been dodgy. Yeah. Well, Gosh. But that, that was the kind of thing that could happen, you know. Yeah. A lot of times Fred mentioned a, a CQMS Hornet. Yeah. That's but, right, I. Yeah. Who was he then? Do you know anything about him? Company Quartermaster Sergeant. Right. Hornet. He, he took our photographs uh, on the advance, on the advance up to uh, Belgium and Holland. Right. Uh, Horner took a photograph of Fred and me, and uh, Fred was asking me, "Did I have the photograph?" You know, uh, right. I was never able to find it. Yeah. So, if, if we ever get a relative of CQMS Horner writing in because they've heard you on the podcast. Uh, have a picture. Might have a picture of you. No, no, I never know what happened to him. I don't know. Well, thanks again so much to you, Wilf, for all of that uh, excellent, entertaining stuff. Wilf was ninety-seven in February two thousand and seventeen, and I'll repeat myself: long may you keep trespassing, my old chum. Thank you to you, Leslie, as well for your contribution. If you think the show's over, listener, please don't leave yet because there are one or two more bits and pieces to come, including uh, a very entertaining postscript, so please hang on in there. The next episode, 24, is a short story which I'm going to get out before Christmas as it's a tale of goodwill to all men as my dad recounts the last of his days in the army in peacetime Germany. This is going to be the first in a series of short stories where I tell the story behind a photo and you'll need a tissue handy as it's a very poignant tale indeed. I'm kick-starting the short story series with a photo of my dad serving in the regimental police, keeping the peace in post-war battle-strewn Germany. The original photograph was black and white, but I've had it colourised by specialist Marina Amaral, and I'm so pleased with the results. I'm posting the photo on my webpage at fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk right now, so hopefully you'll get a chance to take a look before the episode is released. OK, we're nearly finished now, but there's a PS coming, don't forget. Uh, if you want to contact the show for any reason, whether it's social media, email, feedback, uh, or even just to look at the excellent show notes I've compiled, um, please go to fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk for everything. Thank you so much for listening. Please do hear me next time. For now, I'm Paul Cheel saying bye-bye now. P.S. I'm finishing, not with a story about the war, but a true sporting story. By now you'll all have realised what a great sense of humour Wilf has. His favourite football or soccer team is Oldham Athletic, nicknamed the Latics, who are in Lancashire, England. And as any soccer fan will know, if there's any team that you're entitled to ridicule more than the opposition, it's your own team. Wilf is no different, and this story relates to someone arriving late at the Latics Stadium for the start of the game. It's midwinter, cold, raining, and Oldham are propping up the bottom of the league table with not very good prospects of staying up. Enjoy. 
I, told, I told you that tale about the Latins, didn't I? Oldham, Oldham are Latins. In the old days, you know, they used to have a ground and you had to go up like a terracing to the top yeah. to get to the top of the terracing, if you like. Yeah, you'd go for, from this side you couldn't see it, you know. Right. And this day, these chaps, he was late going in, you know, so. He's walking up, he's saying it, and he hears a tremendous roar go up, you know, before he got to the top. And he gets to the top all excited. He said, I've discovered. He said, no, pies have come. I've been laughing at that all day ever since... Uh, I did the editing for this podcast. Um, you can put your tissues away now, listener, unless you're going to listen to it again. Uh, Wilf, you're, you're absolutely wonderful old chap. Bye-bye now. <laughs>